you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we are going to be in kind of a part three of uh, understanding the Bible. And um, we're going to pray and, and uh, get into the God's word. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to understand it. We thank you for um, the exhortation, even this morning, um, how when Ryan was here, when he was learning your word and growing, Lord, you just put in him a desire to, to have a place like this where people don't have the word being taught. So God, we pray that as we open up your word, this is not just for us this morning. This is not just for us to grow and to be strengthened. Lord, it's for us to teach. It's for us to give to others, to reach out to others. So Lord, help us to study well. Help us to um, hear what you're saying so that as we get to know you more and understand you, that Lord, we could show others also. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke chapter two, um, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is risen from the dead and this is gonna got, uh, kind of going to be the backdrop for what we look at this morning of studying the Bible. Because as Jesus is risen from the dead, read with me what it says here in verse 13. Uh, Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They talked together of all these things which had happened. And while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? He said to them, What things? So they said, And the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they didn't find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. He indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and he blessed and broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart, our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? This morning, that's the backdrop because the Bible that Jesus had, the Bible that he explained to them was what we call the Old Testament. And so as Jesus is talking to them about the Bible and all of the scriptures, they call it the law and the prophets. So going all the way from Genesis, all the way to Malachi, the law being the Old Testament books of history, the Pentateuch, the, the prophets being all of these prophetical books and the, all the books of history and poetry. He says, all of this is about what? It's about Jesus. He said, it's about me. 
And when he explained these things to them, their hearts began to burn. You know, my prayer for us this morning is as we open up God's word that your heart begins to burn with the things of God as we open up his word. Now, um, again, I just want to emphasize that in Acts 2.46, it says they continued daily with one accord in the temple. This is like a gathering. We're gathered together as, as a, a body of Christ. But then it says they broke bread from house to house as they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You know, life groups, one of the reasons why they're so important is for us to be able to talk about these things, to take this this morning and then to take it into a group and say, hey, you know, let's ask some more questions about it and talk about it. And Ryan and Nicole will be at um, some of those groups as well, being able to kind of share what that looks like in their context also. So this morning, when we look at scriptures, Jesus opened these scriptures up to them. And, and notice that they conversed, they, they talked about him, but their eyes were kind of blinded to him. And I think that sometimes there are people that read the Old Testament, they read the Bible with their eyes blinded to the fact that it's all about Jesus. Eyes blinded to the fact that, that there's something in there for us that God wants to speak to us about. So we talked about spiritual disciplines and reading the word of God, the difference between trying and training. I could try to lift 400 pounds right now and and I can't do it. I could try with all of my might to do that. I could try harder than someone who who can lift 400 pounds. My effort might be greater, but unless there's a training that has taken place, I'm not going to be able to do it. And if we want to be strong Christians, if we want to be disciples, if we want to understand God, it's not enough to say on a certain day that I wake up, I just want to be a strong Christian. Well, that's a great place to start. But now it's the training. It's getting into God's word. It's praying. It's drawing near to him. Remember that we read the Bible to know Jesus. Remember Jesus said, all of these things are testifying of me. And it's also to be equipped so that we're ready so that God could use us however he wants to use us. Part of Ryan's equipping was not only sitting in a Bible teaching church, but he was a self-feeder. He got into God's word for himself. He studied the scriptures. And I'm sure that those times were the times when God just really began to pull out those truths and those things that became what he was, he was called to do. So last week, uh, we... Just quick overview, we looked at why we read the Bible, uh, the trustworthiness of the Bible. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. Um, get, uh, I'll have a handout, you know, I've been trying to perfect it, so hopefully next week it'll be ready. But just how we could trust the Bible is a supernatural book, um, how we know that, that it's more than just a book of myth, it, it's, it's more than a, an ancient book of story, it's God's word, it's true, it's historically accurate. Um, it can be verified. We, we looked at how to read the Bible, you know, taking the Bible literally, asking the Holy Spirit to teach us, looking at the context of history and scripture. And now this morning, I want to get into this really important part of understanding that there are two covenants in the Bible. Now in the Bible, um, if you look at, I'm holding my Bible right here, the division in it, The Old Testament is bigger than the New Testament, right? We spend most of our time, I think, as believers in the New Testament, but it's important to understand the Old Testament doesn't mean that it's old and obsolete. It's not like, oh, this is the Old Testament, this is kind of old and obsolete, and the New Testament is really where the good stuff is. Uh, It means there's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. 
And let me explain it this way. The new is in the old contained. The old is in the new explained. So all throughout the Old Testament, when I'm reading the Old Testament, I realize that all the stuff about Jesus, it's contained in there. But then in the New Testament, the Old Testament is explained to us. Let me put it another way. The new is in the old concealed, but the old is in the new revealed. Okay, so God reveals himself um, to us. So as we look at um, these two testaments, remember this, that in the book of Hebrews, if you've ever read Hebrews, it's a confusing book unless you've read the Old Testament. And if you've never read the book of Hebrews and you've only read the Old Testament, then the Old Testament is confusing because the book of Hebrews starts to explain it. So this morning, I'm gonna do the best that I can to speak uh, quickly. I'm gonna ask you to, to engage and to just focus, ask the Holy Spirit to help you concentrate because I'm gonna try to go through the Old Testament to get an overview of this incredible, these 39 books that God has given us that I believe will, uh, this morning, light bulbs will go on in a, uh, over a lot of people's heads this morning. United States eras, I want you to understand this. In the United States, between like, let's say 1740 to about 1775, we could call that like the colonial period. Uh, if you know U.S. history, that's when um, the events that were happening is colonies were getting founded, right? They, they landed Plymouth Rock, colonies are getting established, which later became the states. Um, key place is Boston, key person is Benjamin Franklin. All right, that's a way to think of U.S. history and these things that were happening. Then in 1776, in case you didn't know, I'm teaching you some U.S. history this morning. That's when we became a nation. That was called the Revolution. Um, if you don't know this stuff, you need to watch more Schoolhouse Rock. You know, the shot heard around the world was the start of the Revolution. So that shot heard around the world was the beginning of the United States becoming a country. And uh, we want no more king. You know, we want <laughs> no more king, no more king. Um, so what, what's happening is uh, Thomas Jefferson is the key person. Uh, we have uh, the Declaration of Independence being like our key document, Philadelphia being the key place that this takes place. Now, at that time, just so you know, in our history, there was a man named Jonathan Edwards. How many of you have heard of Jonathan Edwards? Good. Jonathan Edwards was a preacher. He was a pastor that preached a, a, a sermon does anyone know the name of it? That's it. The sermon was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. When he preached this sermon, um, when you read the historical account, you find that Jonathan Edwards did not have a microphone. And Jonathan Edwards spoke this sermon. And as people were listening, there were people that their, their testimony was they, they actually imagined the flames of hell as he was teaching. And they, they fell down to their knees. They began to call out to the Lord. And this is a revival in the United States called the Great Awakening. Personally, I believe that the Great Awakening, because he preached that sermon in 1741, I believe that that had a big influence on who he became as a nation. Because God used a person named Jonathan Edwards to call people not just to leave a kingdom, but really to turn to God. And if I were to extrapolate this to biblical times, 
it, I would look at Jonathan Edwards in the role of the prophets when you read the prophets of the Old Testament. He's calling to people in America to turn back to God. And when I read the people, the prophets in the Bible, they were calling out to the people to turn back to God. Now, I'm going to go down some of the eras um, when we look at in the Old Testament. And by the way, I, I see Billy Graham in much the way that I saw Jonathan Edwards. Billy Graham just celebrated his 95th birthday. And the last message that he preached, um, that he wanted it to be kind of like his, his final message, uh, was called the cross. And that's what it comes down to. It's all about the cross. And it's all about turning back to Jesus. Well, the Old Testament era begins with this. The book of Genesis. It's the book of beginnings. It is such an important book. In fact, uh, what our children are going through right now, if you have kids in the children's ministry today, what they are learning is their curriculum is called Answers in Genesis. Even though it goes through the whole Bible, basically it begins with creation. Because if I can't believe that God created the heavens and the earth, I'm going to have a hard problem with the whole rest of the Bible. And if I can't believe that the, the book of Genesis is actually God's word, then I'm going to have a problem with the other parts of God's word. In fact, Thomas Jefferson did this. He took the Bible and he took out the parts that he didn't think were true. And it was called the Thomas Jefferson version of the Bible. And it was super thin. You know, kind of like editing out what he thought was really from God and what wasn't. We are not editors of scripture. The Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit and, and holy men of God wrote as the Holy Spirit gave them um, utterance and direction. But Genesis begins with creation. Uh, the key people um, are Adam, Eve, Noah. Um, Genesis 1 through 11, the places are Eden, the Garden of Eden in the world. And, and the key events... At the beginning, we have the creation. And what happens in Genesis chapter 3? The whole Bible hinges on Genesis 3. Because God created the world really for us to live, for us to enjoy, for us to have fellowship with him. But he gave a choice. And he said, in the garden, I'm going to put this tree. And of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that fruit. And any other fruit you could have. Now, if you turn around, just look out those windows for a second. See how many trees there are out there? We live in a beautiful area that's surrounded by trees. Um, realize that the Garden of Eden had a lot of trees. And people think of God as being really restrictive. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Really, God is very open. And there's a lot of freedom in knowing him. And he says, you could have of any tree except for this one. And of this one, don't eat. Because in, it, in that relationship, there's a choice that we have either to follow him or to reject him. What Adam and Eve chose to do is go their own way. Now from Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 50, it's, it, it just focuses in on a family. This is called the patriarch era. And you have these, these men that God used, this specific family from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. And that's why we have the nation of Israel. And there were 12 sons of Jacob, which were called the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob's son, um, you know, Joseph, many of you know Joseph as probably the most famous out of all, all of those sons. Now, as I'm going through this, I'm going to end each of these sections with an application and how we see the gospel. But I also wanted to point out that Job 
even though, if, if you look in your Bible, the book of Job is right here in the middle, right before the book of Psalms. And this is the reason why the Bible is kind of confusing to some people, because they start with Genesis, and they read, they get all the way to book, the book of Job. Job, when his life, you know, when he actually lived, was actually a contemporary of Abraham. So this book of Job, if you were to take the historical part of this, this actually is at the beginning of the book in Genesis. But the Bible isn't arranged chronologically. It's arranged by books of history, then you get books of poetry, then you get books of the prophets. So this morning, I'm really hoping and praying that that we kind of get this so when we read the word, it starts to make more sense. Now, when I look at this, I just want to, Um, look at an application Adam and Eve the big thing with them is who is God and in your life I want to ask you who is God who is God to you because Adam knew that God was the creator right it's obvious right Adam knew that God was the provider Adam knew that God was the all-knowing one so who is God in your life doesn't just mean a theistic belief that there is a creator or some supreme being out there that created things. No, let me tell you that when it comes down to making a decision, Adam had to, had to make a decision. Am I going to follow God or am I going to follow myself? And when he decided that he knew better than God and he was going to do what he wanted to do and disregard what God said, guess what? In Adam's life, he himself became God. So my question to you is, who is God? Not who is he like a creator, but who is he to you personally? It's a great application to think of because the original sin is what we all struggle with. When I disagree with God's word and what God says, who wins? When I disagree with God and I think, hey, I just want to do this. There's nothing wrong with it. I know that the Bible says this, but I want to do this. Does God still hold the place of God? Or at that point in time, do I say, you know what? I'm going to edit these things out. I'm going to be the master of my own destiny. I'm going to be like Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way, and I'm just going to do it my way. And, and, and who cares what anyone thinks? Go ahead and judge me, God. And you know what? He will. And that's what he did with Adam. But the gospel can be seen in this. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they went their own way. It says that they were naked, um, and, and they realized that they were naked. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? I think I've told you before that uh, when I was down at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs for our harvest festival for the, you know, for a, a Halloween night outreach, um, they had us do these biblical booths. And uh, I just said, I'll do any booth. You know, just let us know. And they gave me creation. So they, Deanna and I, we, we were supposed to come as Adam and Eve. And so we dressed up and Deanna... Deanna bought these flesh-toned, you know, long underwear, and then she made these leaves out of felt. I felt abs- I, I was, I could not believe that I said I would do this. And I'm like, no, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this. And Deanna says, uh, what else won't you do for Jesus? And I'm like, oh, all right, give me the long underwear. So I put the long underwear on. And I'll, I'm, I'm embarrassed, but I get there before, you know, the, the outreach happens and all the people from the neighborhood come. So I'm thinking, like, the people that are serving with me in ministry, they're going to be pretty cool about it. In fact, they'll even think, man, what a, what, what a spiritual guy. You know, he's willing to do anything for the Lord. I, I get out of the car. My brother, 
he gets to be dressed as a Roman guard. So he's a Roman gladiator. He has a sword and a breastplated shield. He's all tough, and he walks out, and he sees me. <laughs> he just starts laughing. He's like, look at Peter Pan, and everyone's like, you know, Jolly Green Giant. And, man, he, he's, just, he's just giving me a hard time. And, and I know firsthand that those fig leaves, they, they, they make you feel really bad. You know, you feel naked. You feel uh, exposed. And, and God tells Adam and Eve, who told you were, you were naked? And then what does Adam do? Who does he blame? It's the woman that you gave me, all right? It's always the woman's fault. Man, I just would have such a strong walk with God if it weren't for my wife, God. If it weren't, you know, I, w- I would be patient and loving, but man, look who you gave me. And, and, then, and then the wife, you know, he looks to Eve. Eve, what happened? And what did she say? The devil made me do it, right? And that's what we say the next thing. The devil made me do it. It wasn't me. It was the devil. And so instead of taking accountability for our sin and humbling ourselves to God, what we do is we blame others. We don't want to take the blame. And so what God did is he said, I'm going to cover you. And what did he provide? Animal skins. Now, let me ask you, what had to happen in order for animal skins to be their covering? God had to slay an animal and give them the covering guess what? It's a picture of the gospel because it points out all the way from the beginning that blood would be shed for the covering of sin. And Jesus in the New Testament and the new covenant is called what? The Lamb of God who is slain for our sins. Isn't that an amazing thing? That when you read the Bible, I, I hope and pray it just, it just comes to life. So the next two eras that we are going to look at or the next era is the Exodus era. Um, every Easter when I was growing up, my mom would watch Charlton Heston. We would watch the 10 commandments. So I knew, I knew the Exodus really well, even before I was a Christian, because I I watched the 10 commandments and, um, you know, that in the book of Exodus, the key event is they exit Egypt. Now, which books of the Bible cover this era? This is called the Pentateuch, including with Genesis, it's Genesis, but in the Exodus area era, it's Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. I put numbers in there twice just because I don't know, there's numbers. So um, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. These are called the Pentateuch along with Genesis, the first five books of the Bible. And these are what we call the law, the Old Testament law. Now, the key people, remember that God used Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt. Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. That's where we get the plagues. God uh, created the plagues. And then remember that they crossed over on the red, they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. And when the Egyptians and the Pharaoh hardened his heart and he's chasing after them, God causes the Red Sea to come back on them and he delivers his people because Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. At the time, uh, we also know that there's these two guys named Korah and Balaam. These were Israelite God people, but yet they, they rebelled against God. They went their own way. And what happens is, there, there comes a point where there's a division of people that believe God and people that don't. And there's these 12 spies that he sends to check out the land, the promised land that they're going to go into. The key events are wandering and the exit. And also God sets up this thing called the tabernacle. It's a tent of meeting where they're supposed to meet. Now, let me give you some application to this. God, as the deliverer, hears our cries. It says that when the cries of the Israelites came up to his ears and he heard them, that God acted 
Now, there was, there was a long time in between that, right? When they cried out to God. But God shows himself to be the deliverer. But you, let me give you a 2013 application. Last night, we went to a benefit concert for the Freedom House and for the Nest. Um, there's a, a couple from Calvary Chapel Gilroy that um, the Lord is using to start um, somewhere in Santa Clara County. I can't even reveal where. It's a rescue home for girls that are rescued from human trafficking. And let me tell you the heart that is behind it. The heart that is behind it is there are still people that are crying out for freedom. There are slaves today. Did you know in San Francisco, one of the guys that was behind the not for sale movement was at a restaurant in San Francisco, his favorite Chinese food restaurant. He had gone there for, for almost a decade. And the next thing he knows, he's reading the newspaper and he finds out that there's a bus there and the police come in and basically there is slavery in that restaurant and the servers and the waiters and waitresses are actually slaves that are there against their will. And when I look at that, I, I realize, I hope and pray that when you see things like that, that it's not just something of the movies or it's not something that is out there and it's kind of like vague and general. No, God calls us to be involved in delivering. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. And if God is a delivering God, he's called us to be a delivering people. He's called us to be Christians that not just have knowledge of who God is, but do something about it and are actively involved in our hearts being broken for people that are in slavery. So can the Old Testament apply to us today? Absolutely. I hope and pray that when you read the Old Testament, it's not just like, oh, that's the the Pharaoh and these are the the plagues. No, God, what does this mean to me? What are you showing me? And let me tell you this, that I see the gospel because the law as it was given through Moses. How many of you guys follow the Ten Commandments fully? Anyone? We try, right? But we fail, okay? Because none of us fully follows the Ten Commandments because one of them is thou shall not lie. Another one is thou shall not covet. That makes it absolutely internal. Like, like you're not even supposed to covet what someone else has. Like lust, that's, you just broke the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, just like wishing you had something that they had. You just broke the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were never meant for us to be justified before God. They were meant to show us that we fail and we can't make it and we need a sacrifice and we need a savior. And who is that? That's Jesus. Because we know that the blood of the bulls and the goats and the lambs, that was insufficient. And it was only a picture and a symbol of Jesus who was going to come to take away the sins of the world. We see Jesus all throughout scripture. The next eras that we look at. Conquest, the book of Joshua. Um, and then the book of Judges and Ruth. Uh, The conquest era is the book of Joshua, the key people, Joshua, Caleb, Rahab. By the way, does anyone know what Rahab was by occupation? She was a prostitute. Do you know where she is featured in the New Testament? Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith. Because she had faith and she believed God. You know, when I I read scripture, I realize that um, God includes Rahab also in the genealogy of Jesus. The line of the Messiah, it comes through Rahab. What does that teach us? It teaches us about God's redemption. Do any of you feel like, you don't raise raise your hand on this one, (laughs) but this morning, do any of you feel like you're just so far from God, you're going through the motions, but really it's really hard for you to pray because you've messed up? Because you know you're a mess up and you know in your life, you know if your sin were exposed, that people that you love would would not want to talk to you. You feel like a loser. You feel like you're nothing. 
Rahab felt like that. I guarantee that she felt like that. But I'll tell you that something about her name being in there shows us that in God's redemption, there is no one that is past redeeming. We also see that in the book of Ju- the era of Judges, um, the book of Judges and the book of Ruth, key people, Deborah, uh, a judge that God used because there was no man that would step up to the plate. And so even when she came and she conquered a, a kingdom, she said, and, and when this song is sung, you know, she tells the leader and it's gonna be sung that you are too scared to go ahead and fight. Um, we also know uh, Ruth and my brother who is here that taught to the uh, men's boot camp just about God's faithfulness. And, and let me just close this part by saying the application to us. In the, the book of Judges, it's all about cycles. And let me, let me ask you, has this cycle been true in your life? You called out to God at some point in your life where you were desperate for him. At some time in your life, you were desperate for God. You were lonely. You made a mess of things. You were empty. You knew that there had to be something more than this. At some point in time, you called out to God. Now, let me also ask you in this cycle, when you called out to God and things got better, did you ever mess up again? Did you ever go back to some of the stupid things that you've done before? Did you ever, did you ever backslide? Maybe not a major backsliding, but, but just things that you started to compromise in. And then what happened? You got empty again. You felt far from God again. You felt messed up again. And what did you do? You cried out to God again. And what did God do? He met you again. And he saved you. I mean, he, he, he rescued you. He forgave you. He redeemed you. He told you that you're still his. So, so you see this cycle of the book of Judges? I want to get off that roller coaster, don't you? I don't want to live that roller coaster life. But the book of Judges points forward to say that there is a redeemer that's going to come. And it points towards Jesus. And in this cycle, Jesus is the one that wants to break that cycle because the next person that we look at, we we look at Joshua, God is salvation. That's what his name means. Guess what Joshua, that Old Testament name, guess what it's translated to when you get to the New Testament? It's Jesus. So we see it's all about Jesus. Next, last couple of of, um, eras. The United Kingdom, not England, but Israel. Israel becomes a united kingdom under the first king, which is, which is a man named Saul. But as Israel is united as a kingdom, guess what? The reason why Israel is calling out for a king is they want to be like the other nations. Why can't we be like all the other nations? They have a king and God is their king. That's called a theocracy, not a monarchy. God is their king, but they reject God. The books that are covered are First and Second Samuel, First Kings, First Chronicle. And notice this. Here's a, a key for understanding the Bible here. In the middle of the Old Testament, these are called the books of poetry. And, and you have here Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. The book of Job, historically, is, is in which book? Genesis, okay? That's where historically it would fit. But Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, this all fits into this United Kingdom era. It all fits into these, the historical context of First and Second Samuel and First and Second, or First Kings and First Chronicles. 
because the main people were Samuel, the prophet. There was Saul, who was the first king. Now, now Saul rejected God. And God raised up someone else that was going to be a king that would follow him. Who was that king? It was David. Because God said this, I have sought for myself a man after my own heart. So Saul had no heart for God. He rejected God. David was a man after God's own heart. Now, did David mess up? Big time. Big time. I mean... I mean, I, I know that all of us have messed up, but I doubt anyone in here, I doubt, I don't know, but I doubt anyone in here has messed up. Like David committed adultery and killed the woman's husband, lied and misrepresented God before all of the people. Uh, just an amazing thing. And yet in, in God's grace, God reached out to him and David repented and he came back to the Lord. And one of the things that I see is that when I look at the application of these things, you know, I hope and pray that you read through the book of Psalms because the Psalms says prayers that I don't know how to pray. Do you ever read, you ever feel so like just this angst in your heart and just kind of like sometimes you're angry at injustice? Do you ever get angry when, when you see the news and you think that people are getting away with things? I don't know if you, if you, um, watch the news, but you see these genocides that are happening. Did you know that right now in Syria, one of the things that is happening is that churches are being burned and Christians are getting killed? Doesn't get so much reported in our news. But when I see that, I, I call, I'm just like, God, how, how does that happen? Or when there's human trafficking or you see things like that. And when you read the book of Psalms, it's just like David's prayers. They're called imprecatory Psalms where he's just being real with God and he's saying, God, just take care of them. Just smash them. Don't let them get away with it. You know what else David prays? David prays, God, please forgive me because man, I am messed up and I have not followed you and I've gone my own way and my heart is anxious within me. And man, there are times when I read the book of Psalms that I, my heart feels something that I can't get into words and I read it and I'm like, that's it. How do you apply this, these things? Don't read it as a historical book. Read it as, as prayers to God. How many Proverbs are there? chapters it's 31 read a proverb a day apply those things to your life how many stupid things they, that we've done would have been avoided if we just read the book of proverbs and followed the book of proverbs i mean there's wisdom for every day let me tell you where i see the gospel in this i mean many places but when you think of the name david who do you associate that with what other person bathsheba or goliath okay do you remember when David is fighting Goliath? They come down in the Valley of Elah and I have pictures of it when we've been there and actually have been to the brook where they got those smooth stones and, and, and uh, you have one, one, you know, the Philistines, one army on this side, you have the Israelites on this side and Goliath says something and he mocks and he says, who will come and fight me? And he, he makes a bargain. What does he say? Send one person to come and fight me. And if I defeat him, then you will be our slaves. But if he defeats me, then you have the victory and you will have won. David says, I'll do it because Saul is too afraid to fight. And David comes out and, and man, when you read it, um, he gets that sling going and he, he says, who are you to defy you know, the living God? And he runs at him and he lets the, the stone go. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen the graphic image, but it just... 
You know, like it just like hits Goliath, like right in the forehead. And God guides the rock. And then David runs up and he told him he was going to do it. He said, I'm going to cut your head off. David doesn't have a sword. He takes Goliath's sword, which must have been just massive. And probably like those things at the fair, like you could barely lift a hammer and just cuts off Goliath's head. And he takes Goliath's head and he starts running through the cities holding Goliath's head. And what happens when he does that? All the people cheer and they all rejoice because what? They have won. And you know what Jesus is called in the New Testament? He's called the son of David. And guess what? Jesus won. And when Jesus took the spear in his side, when he died for our sins, when he rose from the dead, if you are on his team, you win. If you know the Lord and you trust in him, you have victory. So we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We just have some cleanup to do. But the victory's already been won. In the last era after the United Kingdom, um, this divided kingdom, in the divided kingdom, and, and, and I'll come back to this next week. In the divided kingdom, the book of Second Kings and the book of Second Chronicles, I want you to know that in those two historical books, listen to this, Obadiah, Jonah, Nahum, Amos, Hosea, Joel, Isaiah, Micah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, and Lamentations. All of those books of the prophets were all written in that small chunk of time. It's the divided kingdom. And God kept rising, raising up prophets to say, turn back to him. Because if you guys don't turn back to him, God's going to come and he's going to judge us. Do you think God is saying the same thing to the United States? Like, turn back to him. If you don't turn back to him, he's going to come and judge us. And in the same way, God kept raising up prophets to come and say, there's hope. You could turn back to the Lord. You could repent. It's not too late. Keep turning back to God. And, and these incredible things happen. After Solomon, who was David's son, when he died, there was a civil war that erupted. And in the civil war, and this is super important to understand, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel split. In our civil war, 1860s, we had the north and the south. In Israel, in the, 19, in the 930s, 931 BC, there was a civil war. The northern kingdom was 10 tribes or 10 counties or 10 states of Israel. They all went up to the north and they, they left God and they said, we're gonna worship God how we wanna worship. And in the south, there were only two tribes left. It was Judah and Benjamin. And they, they continued to worship God, but God raised up different kings in those places. Most of them were absolutely wicked. And, and uh, in the north, there were 19 kings. All of them were evil. In the south, there were 20 kings 12 of them were evil, eight of them were good, kind of, and a few of them were really good. And Josiah was the greatest king in that era. And let me tell you something about Josiah that it says about him. It says that his heart was tender towards God because when they found this, when they found the book of the law, which the Bible had not been read very much in Israel and it had been lost, a lost book, when they found it and the priest came and started reading it, Josiah, when he heard it, he ripped his garment because he realized we're not following God's word. And because he was tenderhearted, God did not send judgment during Josiah's lifetime. And, and you know, it's an amazing thing. God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. So as we pray, the, the last sad thing is that they go into captivity. They go into captivity. And this 
points us forward to the New Testament, the new covenant, because Jesus is going to come. You know what? When they went into captivity, the northern kingdom was taken by Assyria in uh, like 721 BC. They never became a country again. They were wiped out. The southern kingdom in 586 was taken by Babylon. And they were taken out of their country and they were made slaves. And it wasn't until God raised up um, Zerubbabel and, and uh, Nehemiah and Ezra that they came back. But you know what? As we close right now, let me ask you this question. In this cycle of looking at the Old Testament, where are you today? Where is your heart? Um, in the cycle of the judges, are you at a place where God has, has blessed you and you're following him? Or are you at a place of rebellion towards him? Because if you are, know this, that when God disciplines us, why does he do it? It's because he loves us and he's trying to draw us back. If you're in that place today, when we worship God, just, just open up your heart and say, God, I just want to come back. God, just fill me. Just forgive me. God, just, just help me. Let, me. let me share with you. Maybe you're in a place like, like Ryan was when God called him to go to Peru. And you're at a place saying, God, just use me. God, just send me wherever you want to send me. God, help me to see things in, 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 your, in your way. God, where, where is the ministry that you have for me? Maybe it's my own family. Maybe it's my neighborhood. Maybe it's here at the church. Maybe it's somewhere, you know, in, in, my, in my workplace. But God, use me because I don't want to just be on the sideline. And you know what? Maybe there are some of you that still have been looking for a savior. You know what? It's not enough to try to follow God's law. God's law is only meant to point us to Jesus. So I'm going to show this video and then have the worship team come up. And uh, as the worship team comes up afterwards, we're, we're just going to pray. And, um, and we'll be available to pray with you if anyone would desire prayer. But if we could shut down the lights and let's go ahead and show this video. I think it kind of summarizes some of these things from this morning. Man, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that all scripture whispers your name. God, we think of every story as a, a child growing up, there was always a hero. And Lord, those fictional heroes, those things that we look forward to, God, were only shadows of the real hero. God, we think about princesses that need to be rescued and people that are in bondage that need a king. And God, you are that. And Lord, you are that in reality. And so, Lord, not only have you come to save us, but, Lord, you've come for us to tell your story, to tell people who you are. And, Lord, not only with words, but by our actions, when, when people are rescued and people in the Philippines receive aid and, God, hospitals are built and, and people reach out to those with leprosy in Calcutta. And, Lord, we look at our world and the homeless in Santa Cruz and God, the people that are um, addicted to drugs and alcohol, and, and there are those that reach out to them in Teen Challenge, and, and Lord, there are churches that gather together, and there are people that gather in your name. Father, we are your people meant to tell your story about a father who loved this world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, and that life would be an abundant life, not just heaven, but here and now. So God, use us this morning. God, we pray that as we worship you, that you would evoke from us the praise and the worship that you deserve. Father, we thank you 
that you have set the example for us, Jesus, to come for us. You're a generous God and a loving God, and we thank you. We worship you now, Jesus. We pray, Father, that as we give to you not only words of praise, but offerings, Lord, and tithes, that you would use these for your glory to reach more people. God, that you would multiply them. So, Lord, we thank you this morning. We worship you as your people, and we say that you are king and you are God. In Jesus' name, amen.